I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 13 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I am so excited to have Danielle Lau back with us this week. It's been a little bit since Danielle's been on the pod and since I've caught up with her, but she has been up to some really exciting stuff in the world of tennis, in the world of running, in the world of junior coaching. And I'm so excited for her to share all her latest endeavors with all of us. I've been following her on socials for years now and just recently noticed her foray into junior coaching. And so reached out to her and invited her back. And of course, as always, she was very gracious and uh, very excited to come chat with us and let us know what she's up to. So before I bring Danielle on, just a quick reminder, we would love for you to become a premium member of Parenting Aces. All you have to do is go to our website, parentingaces.com, click on the join button, and you have lots of options there for you. Also, if you are already a premium member of Parenting Aces, make sure you're taking advantage of everything that offers, including your complimentary consults one-on-one with me. So now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with former USC Trojan, uh, current junior developmental coach, current running enthusiast, Danielle Lau. It's so great to see you, Danielle. Welcome back. And thanks for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to chat with us. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So for (laughs) my listeners that for whatever reason, have had their head under a rock and don't know who you are. Um, Can you give us a little bit of your background, how you got started playing tennis and how you kind of transitioned from juniors to college to pro? Got it. So for for me, my tennis story started when I was seven. It was a complete accident. I was on a vacation in Mexico. My parents had a timeshare meeting to go to. And instead of putting me in some sort of daycare, they, they left me at the tennis course to take some lessons so that the coach can look after me for a few, for a few hours. Um, I was a golfer at the time actually. And when I came back from vacation, my parents enrolled me in some group lessons, group lessons became private lessons, private lessons became a tournament and to be quite honest, I didn't really love tennis in the beginning, but I I won the first tournament I ever played. And the moment the tournament director put that trophy in my hand, I fell in love with the game. But I think I fell in love with winning, actually. And so, like, since then, I've just had, like, a competitive drive just to just to compete and to and to just be better than yesterday. And one thing led to another, I think at around 10 years old, like, and my dad told me this story uh, pretty recently. Uh, he said, like, you know, when you were 10, like you were watching Pete Sampras at Wimbledon. He said, Dad, I'm going to be there one day. And I was like, I did. <laughs> He's like, yes, you did. And I'm like, wow. OK, so I guess I, I've had that professional dream since I was younger. Um and when I was around 15, 16 years old, um, still had that professional dream, but just knew I wasn't ready for the tour yet. So I I decided to to think a little bit about college and um, 
went to USC, had a great four years there. Um, but at the time, the tennis culture was a little different. It was like you choose college or you chose pro. And uh, if you went to college, uh, the professional route almost seemed like a, you hit a dead end there. So when I graduated college, um, some people asked me, are you going to play or not? And even then, there was still some like hesitancy in terms of like, well, I went to college. Does that mean like my professional dream is dead? Um, but I, I, I started to interview for, for some, some jobs, um, a lot of asset management companies, um, even, uh, even had a job offer. Um, but it was, it was for a position in Wisconsin and I couldn't leave California. Um, had a few job offers with insurance companies as well. Just didn't feel, didn't feel right. And like, my heart was still for the game because I was still hitting for, for money on the side. And I just love being on court. And so I just decided to start competing and I uh, had some pretty good success in the first, first few months when, when I, when I started on tour and um, maybe a year into it, I, I, I told myself, okay, let's, let's restart this dream. Maybe we can make a slam. And um, it took about like three, four years for me to make my first uh, singles Grand Slam qualifying. And uh, I, I qualified for the U.S. Open on on my first appearance um, in in, um, in the qualification rounds. I did it back to back years. And wow, what a dream. Um, and I was able to qualify for Wimbledon, too. That was another dream come true. Uh, and and now uh, I've. I was on tour for a decade at the beginning of this year. I just felt I needed something different and um, I wasn't really sure what that was. Was it tennis? Was it not? Uh, was I ready to move on with my life? I'm not sure. And um, an opportunity to volunteer at USC, my alma mater, uh, you know, kind of fell in my lap and, and I, I swore to everyone I would never coach. Um, I, I swore that when I finished playing for myself, I was I was going to leave nothing on the table in my in my tennis tank. But I I was very wrong. I I ended up loving coaching, and I love and I love sharing my experiences and giving back to to the sport that's given me so much, and and hopefully giving back to the to the next generation a little bit. So that's what I'm kind of knee deep in right now. I'm trying to figure out like where I fit in this, in this coaching space. Um, I've, I've done a, a couple of things. Well, not a couple more than a couple. So I volunteered at USC. I was a USTA summer collegiate coach, got to work with the top college girls over the summer, um, coach privately. And now I'm also, um, helping the Pete Brown program, uh, a nonprofit in LA, uh, start to get their program off the ground and uh, bring some more competitive players to that program as well. And yeah, so I'm just like kind of a big juggling act right now. I love to run. I, I do some of that too. So yeah, you've got a lot on your plate right now. And I, I like got goosebumps listening to you talk about this transition into coaching, because I think it's so cool when somebody is able to realize that what they thought they wanted isn't necessarily what they wanted and what they thought they didn't want, maybe mm -hmm. they really do want. What convinced you 
to give coaching a try? And and why were you so against going into coaching while you were on tour? I think um, I gave coaching a try. It, it was almost just like like the start of my tennis is a little bit of an accident. Um, I just wanted to to give back to the school um, and spend some time there. And it, I, my calendar freed up because I, I just needed to take a break from the tour. So it just seemed to be, you know, something that I, that I should do. And, and I got into it and yeah, it just ended up really enjoying it from the start. Uh, I remember I was volunteering for a month and some days I would be at school eight to eight and I'd wake up in the next day and I, when I was ready to go, it, it just didn't feel like work for me because it, um, I guess the sport when you're in it long enough, it's, it's not even a sport anymore. It's like breathing. It, I like, couldn't, I couldn't be without it. So just in, enjoying it in a different capacity. It's been, it's been a little mind blowing for sure, because I've been a competitive athlete for a very long time, but to put, but to, yeah, experience the sport in this way, it's, it's, um, it's made me realize there's a lot more to look forward to than you can ever imagine sometimes. Yeah. So why were you so anti-coaching before this? I think like, I just saw how difficult it was like as a player. And, and I felt that like I had already put so much in, to my own career that I was going to leave nothing left in the tank. Like if I was able to still coach, that means I didn't lay it all out. Like I didn't have enough of tennis. Like I did, but um, they're, they're complete, two completely different tanks actually. So I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong to think that way. It's like having a dessert stomach, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You could be so full, but there's always room for dessert. It's a different, it's a different stomach. Yeah, exactly. So, so far, what are your favorite aspects of coaching? Oh, favorite aspects. There's so many, there's, there's so many, but I, if I were to talk about like what what gets me so excited to to coach it would be like I want to I want to give this generation everything I wish I had earlier on like maybe just the the knowledge of of fitness and recovery and like perspective how how to how to learn how to build your game and not just live week to week like all all these things that you acquire all the all these like all the knowledge and experience that you acquire over long periods of time. Like I want to share it because I wish somebody shared it with me or articulated it like that to me or made it known to me when I was at the younger stages of my career. And I've like, and I've really worked hard to, uh, to be able to communicate that in a unique way, not just tell somebody, um, that like you know for example the importance of building or having training blocks um but to paint a picture for them to show them like what it looks like without it and what it looks like with it mm -hmm. uh, because i've experienced both ways so like a uh, perspective and like sharing that knowledge um you know the, the knowledge that you can acquire over long only acquire over a long period of time like that's that's probably the one that 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 gets me up in the morning really excited I love that. You recently started running and by recently, what's well, been probably 
three, four years now, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've read some articles, some interviews that you've done about your experiences with running and and the things that you've learned through running that have kind of crossed over into tennis for you and lessons that you felt like with tennis being an individual sport and running being more of a communal activity, there was a lot of crossover and things that maybe you missed as a competitor in an individual sport that you learned in this communal activity, but that really benefited you as a mm-hmm. tennis player. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Because here at Parenting Aces, we're big proponents of cross-training, of kids not specializing too early in, in tennis, not letting go of the other activities that they love, and that there's always something to learn from every single thing you do that can help your tennis down the road. Yeah, no, that's that's a loaded question, actually. Like, for me, the, the running thing was just a social thing to start, just to just to have an activity outside of tennis. And I've made a lot of friends in the running world. So that's where it started. And as I progressively got more proficient at it, it, it brought a lot of other intangibles, like, for example, the fitness and even the mentality to be able to do something boring for long periods of time. Like I felt like that, um, that really helped me uh, mentally on the court uh, to, to be a little bit more mentally strong and to be less fragile um, to not let like certain discomfort or even your heart rate through through the roof at 160 really bother you um, when you're constantly training at that um, in, in the running world, all of a sudden you're not phased on the court as as easily. So it, it's been it's been a cool crossover. Uh, and in terms of the community, I I really do love like the cohesiveness there. It kind of reminds me of when I was in college a bit. Yeah. Um, being on tour for a decade, it's it's intense. It could get lonely. Um, but the last uh, because- time I had you on, we that was kind of the focus of our conversation. You had mm-hmm. published an article, I think, about being out there by yourself and missing your family and how much it meant to you when you could play in locations where your friends mm-hmm. and family could be there to cheer for you. Yeah, yeah. And and being being a huge like college tennis advocate, I love that type of energy. I love like anybody cheering. They it could be against me. I just want that energy and <laughs> and 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 that like attendance. Um so so for me, like being in the running world, it was filling a void that I kind of had in the mm-hmm. tennis world. Uh so so yeah, it's it's been really cool to to stay in the running world. And and to try to make this crossover also, I think I think I'm slowly having that impact on on some of my friends. Like um, a couple of days ago, Sabrina, Caitlin, and Juliana, they came to Run Club with me, and they really loved it. And they're saying we're coming back next week. <laughs> so it's, it's been really cool. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. So you're you started by coaching at SC. You've kind of transitioned into working with juniors now. Is it a huge difference coaching college girls versus coaching kids that are still in development? Yes, it is. I like to um, separate it a little, um, separate in this way. When you work with juniors, you really do work on your communication. You have to be very clear. And with college and professional players, you work, you really train your eye. You have to see 
um, things a lot closer. Uh, things happen a lot quicker and you have to be a lot, you know, in tune with that. So um, coaching both levels has made me a better coach, actually. Um, when I work with the juniors and I take and I take whatever I learned there to the college players, to the professional players, like I've really refined like my communication on how to get a, a certain point across and also how to read if they if somebody is getting it or not and to take a different route maybe take a different perspective or word it a little bit differently for the player to connect so both my junior and my college players benefit from that and on the other hand when I work with a college player slash pro player my eyes are a lot sharper so when I take that back to the junior level things are very obvious for me like when I'm watching something so so I I, I think uh, both working with both levels is, is, is pretty cool. What about the differences working with females and males? Females thus far, I feel they don't mind the one-on-one time. They actually like it. The boys, they like to play against each other a little bit, especially being a female coach. Also, I do feel the boys, they, they have respect for me, but they also want to like knock heads with another guy also so that that is like the difference i do think the boys have a little less attention span for a private mm-hmm. um around the ages of like 13 and 14 so they they're a little bit more switched on when there's another peer in front of them Interesting. girls uh girls i've noticed they don't mind they do a little bit better with the focus in the private mm-hmm. but then like when you get them to compete they're a little bit shy more shy also so like there's there's a give and take with both, right? You have to like convince the girls like that they should go knock heads a little bit. Like you're encouraging them to do that. And with the boys, you're trying to encourage them to, you know, here's here's some like fine detail here that you need to pay attention to. Let's feed like 50 balls there and they're and you've lost them by ball five. And <laughs> so there, there's the difference and and both both are challenging in their own way, but you know, whatever's challenging makes me a better coach too. I love that. There's been a lot of talk about how we need more female coaches in our sport. Um, What are you finding out there now that you are on the coach side? Are you noticing a real shortage of other women out there coaching? Or do you see things trending upward in a positive way? I think we're seeing more of it now, but I do feel it is still lacking. Um, Why do you think that is? I'm not, I'm actually not sure. Um, might, might be just a social ladder thing. I, I, I don't know, but, um, I do feel that it's, I've, I've been hearing some like great feedback. I just recently finished a camp where I staff, where my whole staff was all female and, um, we, we get, we've gotten a lot of great feedback that like, wow, it's so awesome to see, you know, six, six very successful, strong women uh, come together and and put on a camp like this. So um, to hear that feedback, it tells me that there's more of it being wanted out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, I, I guess also the other, the other part is just like, court time you know maybe maybe women want to start a family and it's it's a little tougher to be 
yeah to to give that core time and to have that like consistency like for the players um which is which is not just like something like we struggle with uh in the coaching world it's something we kind of struggle with in general in the professional world Absolutely. Absolutely. When you tell your former teammates, your former, you know, competitors on tour that you've transitioned into this coaching side of things, are they surprised? Are they disappointed? Are they interested in learning more? What what kind of reactions are you getting? Um, I think for the most part, everyone's really supportive there's a handful of people that think I should go back and play. <laughs> I mean, you're young um, enough to do that still. I, Certainly. I am. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, and uh, another handful of people who are curious why I stopped too. And um, some people think, were you injured or what, what happened? I was like, Oh no, the body was fine. The tennis was great. Uh, but just like mentally and emotionally, I didn't feel aligned with what I was doing. And, um, I haven't really said like really put out the retirement word mm-hmm. yet. Um, I tell everyone I'm on a break, but this might be a permanent break. I'm not sure. Um, and, and for me, I I'm, I'm good with calling it that because I've, I've been a competitive athlete for, for so many years. If I want to take a break for two years, like I'm going to take a break for two years like <laughs> and call it a two year break. And I have no shame in doing that. Um, But for sure, it it was tough to sort through in the beginning, you know, sort through my own thoughts. And then like, yeah, everyone's got their their own opinion on like, you know, whether I should continue to play is or should I completely move on from the sport? So. um, So, yeah, it's it's been a. It's been a mix of things, but for the most part, the close the people closest to me are, are supportive of of um of what i'm doing right now because uh i I think the ones closest to me also knew that i have i have certain goals that i still wanted to achieve as a as a professional athlete that i haven't achieved yet but they knew at the mental state i was back then i wasn't going to achieve it anyways Mm. so this makes sense at the moment that takes a lot of self-awareness to first of all be able to articulate things the way you just articulated them but beyond that to then be able to act on that and pull back and and try a different pathway that you know may or may not bring you what you're looking for um Mm -hmm. where do you think that inner strength comes from um I'm not sure, but but thank you for that compliment. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's just respect and love for the game, and just knowing how difficult it is mm-hmm. to do what I wanted to do, or to achieve what I want to achieve, or to continue to play at the level that that I was striving to play at. I I know what it takes, and I knew if I wasn't 150 percent aligned with everything, it wasn't going to happen anyways. Um, I think it's a little delusional for people to think that you could be kind of like midway in and, and hope for the best. No, this is a tough sport Mm. to be, to be elite in this sport. It is so difficult. And, and if you're not like mentally and emotionally aligned, like it's not going to happen. 
And I'm um, just just understanding that. Um, and and again, just respecting how difficult this sport is and knowing it over a long period of time. Yeah, it, it was tough to to admit, you know, that self-awareness, but it, it was very after a little soul searching, it was very obvious actually. So. I talk a lot uh, to parents when I, you know, talk to them one-on-one and through the podcast too, but about how important it is for the parents and the players to understand that if they say they have a goal, to understand what it's going to take to achieve that goal and mm-hmm. then to commit to putting the work in to achieve that goal and then to be held accountable to that commitment, right? There's, it's a process. It, to me, you know, in junior tennis, there are kids that are just great athletes that find success without having to work all that hard to be successful. College tends to call that out. The pro tour, it it doesn't exist without the hard work, right? Um, There's, there's no way to be successful without that hard work. When you finished at USC and transitioned into full-time professional tennis, what was the biggest challenge for you as you were, you know, getting your feet wet on the pro tour? And I know you played some professional events while you were still in college too, but but transitioning to full time, I am now a professional tennis player. This is my job. Mm-hmm. The, I think it comes um, in two folds. Um, yes, it's hard work, but and, and people think I'm nuts when I say this. Like the hard work and the practice, like the training and the tennis. That's the easy part, actually. It's it's the sacrifices. It's it's the finances. And they kind of go hand in hand too. Um, when I when I got on tour, like I, I the full commitment to do everything I possibly could to move myself in that direction to succeed, and that came down to things like living at home because I need I need the extra money to be able to invest in my tennis. Like I was twenty two years old, I could have easily had gone my own apartment, pay rent every every month and like you know have that like independence but that was a want and not a need and like I was I was very clear on my vision and what I wanted to do as soon as I committed to it and I was able to to separate what was a want and what was a need and um to move to move my ship in the direction that I wanted there was a lot of sacrifices that needed to happen with scheduling with uh, family events like a lot of them were wants but not needs and um and down to down to the finances too like that's that's tough to deal with because i think when you're playing professional tournaments and you're in college you have a little like insurance you got a little cushion school's probably paying for for a lot some some schools will even pay um now they'll pay for you to to go to these tournaments and support you right but it's a completely different story when when you're like I'm 4 years on tour living at home hardly making enough 
And guess what? You're gonna go into this small town in this in the south, and let's see you perform. You spent five hundred dollars to get here. Can you make enough? Can you make enough? And like, can can I afford a coach next week? Can I afford a coach for the next six months? Is it going to? Is it? And the fact that I don't have a coach or I can't afford a coach, is it going to? Am I am I going to be able to build properly? Like all these things are are conversations that people don't think about right. sometimes and 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 these are and these are all like the little stresses that you have and all the little things that you're contemplating on that plane ride that you're and it makes you question so many times in your career is this worth it and then you have to set all that aside so that you can be an effective competitor yeah and and try try getting on court and thinking about all of that no and it's and it takes a great amount of strength to be able to to put it aside. Um, so uh, another way to put it is like for you to succeed as a professional athlete, it takes two things. It takes the proper environment. And the other half is, can you afford that proper environment? Yeah. And And that other half is sometimes the biggest battle everybody faces. They know the environment they want, but can they truly like create it? Do they have the resources to create it? Um, that that's half the battle actually. And like, can you be successful enough to have enough resources to continue to create it? It's, it's, a, it's an endless cycle and that, and that's a lot of stress over a long period of time and to compete under that and to always take those things into account. That's what makes the sport so difficult. Yeah. The training in the tennis Yes, it's difficult, but not nearly as difficult as the other stuff. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your parents' role in all of this? Um, mm-hmm. As, you know, as a junior player, college kind of parents have to take a, a big step back while your kid's in college and we get that. Mm-hmm. But then once you left college and went out on the tour, what is their role then? And and now that you've transitioned into coaching for the short term or maybe the long term, how do they feel about that? So my parents were super supportive throughout my my junior tennis, and but it's always been driven by me. Um, I I don't know how many times my dad told me, "Say, like, are you sure you still want to play? Because we could stop right now. Like I I'm tired of giving up my weekends. Like." <laughs> I'm happy to, but we don't have to continue if you don't want to. But um, no, I, I, I've always wanted to play. And yes, they took a backseat a little bit and they were just a bit more spectators um, during my during my college years. But yes, when I turned pro, like I need to help. I needed help from my parents to start. You know, and, and for a long part of my career, like living at home, that that's helped for my parents, too. I know it didn't yeah. cost them anything, but it, it definitely helped me to to not like have to pay rent um you know every month so um without their support there's no way it would have happened impossible it's impossible and it's i've i've told a lot of junior parents this it's like it's it's a team effort it's the sacrifices your kids are going to make and it's the sacrifices you are going to continue to make too to get them to wherever they want to go right and um and it's not and it's a long over a long period of time too it's it's not a yeah, it's it's not like a training block. No, it's a it's a life thing almost. Yeah. Um until until they want to stop. So um make sure 
make sure you guys are doing it for the right reasons because it's a lot. It's a lot of sacrifice. I was chatting with some people yesterday, actually, who are recreational league players, adult league players, and don't have kids in the sport and aren't really familiar at all with junior tennis development. They both came to tennis as adult players and and they were asking me about, you know, what does it cost to develop a junior player? And I was throwing some numbers out and their eyes just got <laughs> giant. They were like, you have got to be kidding. So like you do this so that they can get a college scholarship and that pays back for all of that. And I'm like, Oh no, the college scholarship doesn't, (laughs) it's not a return on investment financially, not a chance, but there's so many benefits, right. That you get out of it. And I think it's important that parents understand that, that this isn't Mm -hmm. a financial investment you're making for Mm -hmm. some repayment down the road. This is a life skills investment. This is a relationship investment. This is an investment in the overall human development of your child or children. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, 100%. Um, it's, it's funny when I, when I was offered my full scholarship to USC, a lot of my cousins told my, told my dad, Hey, like you don't have to pay for college. And he would tell him, you know, we are just breaking even actually to get Danielle here. We were just breaking even. Yeah. And he, and he, and he's always said like, it was never about trying to get a scholarship. It was that she loved to play and it was a great experience. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like your parents really had a very um, sane and mature approach to your sport and, and the relationship with you and understanding the hierarchy, right? Like the relationship with the child is at the very top. The mm-hmm. success in the sport is so far below that. It's mm-hmm. so important compared to this relationship. And the fact that they've continued to show you the support as you've gone through these different phases of your career is really so wonderful. I mean, just it, it warms my heart because to me, that's what it's oh, all about. Great. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I do, of of course, nobody's, nobody's perfect, but for me to still uh, feel this way about the game. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that plays a big role in it. Yeah, for sure. So for those that are listening to this podcast and not watching it, they can't see that you're wearing a Hoka hat and a Hoka pullover. Um, so yeah, there it is. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh wow. Um my my Hoka um my Hoka partnership was a uh, I just got so lucky with this. It again a complete accident. Um I previously I had and, and I still am. I'm sponsored by Picky Bars. Um I had a great partnership with them. Still do. Uh I was on I was partnered with them for 5 years and they came out with a new flavor. Uh, that was going to be chocolate and mint. And they said, Hey, we need to put a character on this bar. So can, would you, would you like do us the honor and be like the person on this bar? And so I was like, absolutely. Yes. Like I've always wanted to be on a Wheaties box, but I will sell, settle for <laughs> this. Like, this is amazing. Um, and so I had, um, 
I had we, I had done some promotions with them and it's and especially with uh, one, one of my good friends now her name is Julia and like so we worked together in promoting promoting the brand promoting the bar and such and uh, eventually um, Julia left the company I and we kind of lost touch for a few years and I I started wearing Hoka's I'm like man I really love this shoe I want to I want to approach them and just like I want to I want to see if I could get lucky and say like hey can I have like can 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 we do something together like I promise like there is a space for this in the tennis world like I I I, I could feel it and I and so I was on um I was on LinkedIn looking up like their staff and I saw her name on the Hoka uh, on as a Hoka employee and I reached out to her and I was just like Julia let us work together and she's like absolutely and so um since then like we've just I've been um I've been positioning myself to to try to help uh, Hoka have a presence in the tennis world from a cross training standpoint they're not quite ready to make a tennis shoe yet but that will be in the pipeline hopefully sometime soon so primarily um, a running shoe company, correct? Yes, uh, Hoka is a running shoe company. They started off with trail and hiking shoes. They've gotten they they make great road shoes now, and um, now so their their focus is like trail, road, and lifestyle. Okay, at the moment, uh, but you know, as tennis players, we cross train a lot, and so um, I was able to kind of impress upon and influence my friends to start wearing this shoe even my tennis friends and they love it. They love Hoka. We all love Hoka. So, um, so yeah, that, that's just like, that's my Hoka story. I create some content for them, some fun content for them. I go to their events, help them promote some stuff. And, um, and I yeah, love just, your videos where you're like selfie running and <laughs> <laughs> they're awesome. It's so funny. I have, I feel like people are making fun of me sometimes, but I think they're really serious. Now people are like, let's go on a run Dilao. And I'll be like, really, you want to run now? And they'll be like, we want to get in on a selfie. And this, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like people are kind of trolling me, but they just want to get in on a selfie. And it's, but anyways, it's, it's my 0.5 selfie. I guess it's like my trademark now. Everyone, everyone thinks people used to make fun of me of flipping my phone backwards, but, but now it yeah. it's it, it's a it's, thing uh, it's become a trend it's become <laughs> a thing yeah it's <laughs> awesome it's awesome so what's next for you um are you going to continue to work with usc or are you going to focus mainly on juniors a combination mm -hmm. of things what are you seeing for yourself in 2024 yeah so so for me no no plans with usc right now um i am helping the Pete brown program quite a bit we this past uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I threw an amazing camp with some of my best friends and like, it was just a tennis party for three days. I would love to put on a few more events like that just to bring the community together, you know, attract some high level players and, and see where, see where that goes. And, you know, uh, offer, offer these opportunities that are at low or almost no cost to the, to the community and, and do it alongside like people I'm really fond of. Like that, that's like a great way to, to like position myself in the, in the coaching world. I do have some private clients on the side that I'm looking to build. And so just like slowly chipping away at those, at, um, at those players. And uh, for me, when I take on a player, it's not, it's not just a lesson. 
right? I, I had a conversation with a player the other day and she was she was new. And I said, like, you know, you're not just a lesson. You are an operation, a whole project. Like we're thinking big picture. So like you got to tell me like what you want, what's your goals. And then we'll come up with a plan. Like we're not, I'm not just trying to teach you forehands and backhands here. It's a full operation. So for me, that's how I attack it as a coach. And that's what gets me like excited to you know, to help, to help create, like I said, the environment it takes to succeed. Because if you, if you, if you take all that into account, it's more than just the stuff on the court. It's the, it's the cross training. It's the tournament scheduling. Uh, it's, it's even perspective, yeah. you know, watching matches, how, you know, how is she handling, how is he or she handling stuff uh, under pressure on court? So it, it's the full picture because um, for me, I approach uh, coaching as if I, I care for their game the way I cared for mine. And, um, and for me, it's, and that's, that's what lights me up at the moment alongside having these fun camps with my friends. And um, I am going, to, I do have some Hoka content coming up that is, is coming out in January. I'm pretty excited about it. We have a cool project going on. So um, stay tuned. I love it. I love it. Do you ever see yourself getting into coach education? Uh, actually, that is what I am doing at Pete Brown. I am okay. coaching the coaches to I help. Love that. Uh, yeah, to help uh, kind of the pipeline, and then mm-hmm. also like they're they're more advanced players. Like I will take those mm-hmm. like privately. Uh, but yeah, to to coach coaches, to consult coaches. Yes, I do do quite a, quite a bit of that at the moment. That's so good to hear because Mm -hmm. all of the things you just said about how you work with a player Mm -hmm. are, to me, what separates a great coach from an okay coach. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the coach education that we have in this country is missing that. And I'm so happy to hear that you're providing some of that, at least in your arena up in L.A. I think that's so great. Mm -hmm. If people want to work with you, are you taking new players? And and if so, how do they reach out to you? Oh, um, I am. There's a wait list at the moment. Like, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But I'm so busy right now. I'm like really selective with who I'm working with because I'm I'm also trying to leave space in the day to have those like camp projects that I'm doing. I don't, my heart of hearts, I don't want to be just a teaching pro too. I want to facilitate like the, the game of tennis, right? And, and like in, in a, in, in like a cohesive way in a community, I want to, I want to cross it between between like, you know, tennis and running. I want to, I want to make that, I want to bridge that connection. I want to be able to consult somebody on their, like on their whole career, um, even leave space to work with somebody professionally. So it's, so my hours are so limited actually, but um, you can reach out to me on Instagram and we can see if there's an open slot, but ho- holy moly, like right now, I wish there were 30 hours in a day and a lot more sunlight actually. Yeah, the limited sunlight right now is no good on a lot of levels. But uh, yeah, this dark at 430 thing, not my favorite type of time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything I haven't asked you that you want to share with the parentese's audience before we wrap this up? No, I think you were you were really thorough. This was a great interview. Oh, good. A great podcast, a great conversation. 
Good, 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 good. Well, it's always a treat to talk with you. And I have, you know, continued to follow you since I first learned about you years and years ago. And I'm just, I'm so proud every time I see your content. I'm like, this is somebody who gets it. This is somebody who loves the game and who has this gift for giving back to the sport in a way that feels welcoming and inclusive. And, and I think there's just so much more on the horizon for you. I'm excited to see what's coming. No, the, Thank you. I guess the one thing I'll leave the parents with is like, you got to think about the environment and the experience and the winning and the success. That's a byproduct of what you create. Right. So yeah. like, if you, yeah, if you think about like the environment and the overall experience, the the success and the happiness that's all a byproduct of like you working to create that so that would be the my my last thing and th- and that's what i live by too yeah i love you know? that i love that danielle thank you so much um can't wait to see what's next i will keep following you and you're welcome back anytime if uh, maybe when this hoka announcement comes you'll come back on and we can talk about what's going on with that um this episode won't air till january so it may already be a thing by the time this is live but uh i'd love to check back in with you about it in a couple months check back anytime i'm always happy to jump on Perfect. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.